Hello and welcome to The Corridor here on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario and podcasting on Spotify and Apple Music. I'm Dinah Jansen and with me is CFRC Local Journalism Initiative news producer Jesse Bell. This regional news program features news from Kingston and area provided by local and regional journalists through the support of the Local Journalism Initiative and the Community Radio Fund of Canada. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to The Corridor. Coming up in our first segment is a report by CFRC Local Journalism Initiative reporter Chris Laurie on the Kingston Chamber of Commerce's recent Kingston City Council report card. The Kingston Chamber of Commerce has released their Kingston City Council report card for the third quarter of 2023. The report card is a document that was just launched this year and provides a summary of business-related decisions which come before Council throughout each quarter. Each decision made by Council is marked with one of three colours depending on its impact on Kingston's local businesses. Green marks positive outcomes, yellow marks potential concerns, and red marks negative outcomes. This most recent report card covers July, August, and September of 2023. Only five business-related motions came before Council, in comparison to 13 in their second report. Of those motions, two were marked green, two were marked yellow, and one was marked red. The overall rating for the quarter was yellow. The one red decision was council voting in favor of spending $100,000 to study the idea of a vacant home tax. Explaining the red ranking, the report argues, quote, At a time when vacancy rates are at record lows in Kingston and where home ownership costs are increasing steadily due to higher interest, material costs, and labor costs, this does not seem like a wise use of resources and time which, again, could serve to simply penalize landlords who have a portfolio that includes vacant properties, end quote. Two major concerns pointed out in the summary of the report were items that were not discussed by Council during the quarter. For the first issue, the report states, quote, One issue that continues to concern us, yet has seemingly not received significant attention at Council in recent months, is the family doctor shortage. It has been many months since there was an update on the proposed clinic at the former St. Mary's of the Lake Hospital, and it's unclear if plans are in the works should the Ontario Ministry of Health reject these plans, end quote. The second issue they wish to see discussed by Council in the coming months is the city's new patio bylaws set to be implemented in spring of 2024. Included in the proposed changes, the city will no longer allow wooden tables on patios, restrict the type of umbrellas restaurants can have on their patios, and require them to close by 11 p.m. The Chamber hopes to see large changes made to these bylaws before their implementation. After the next few months, the Chamber will release their final 2023 report and wrap up their first year of report cards. Thank you, Chris. And now over to Jesse Bell, CFRC Local Journalism Initiative news producer with more in local news. Thank you, Dinah. In other local news from Owen Fullerton, local journalism initiative reporter for YGK News, Queen's faculty, staff, and students are speaking out against proposed university budget cuts. The university plans to introduce a number of austerity measures in the wake of their projected operating deficit of $48 million. Provost Matthew Evans shared that there was fiscal improvement this week from the original projections of over $62 million, an improvement attributed to the university's existing hiring freeze. The Faculty of Arts and Science, which is the largest faculty at Queen's, is facing the most drastic cuts. It accounts for an estimated $30 million of the university's projected deficit, and the budget will be slashed by $12 million next year, with an additional $18 million to come in 2025-2026. Sweeping policy changes that will be enacted as immediately as 2024-2025 include courses with low enrollment no longer being offered, reducing the number of teaching assistants and adjunct positions, eliminating international student awards, and having PhD students teach more classes. 
Staff say they've been told to anticipate as much as a 13% reduction in the number of courses taught at Queen's over the span of the next few years. The Queen's Coalition Against Austerity, QCAA, is a collection of representatives from various unions at Queen's, and they say the dramatic cuts are happening too quickly and without proper justification. On Friday, an online teach-in was held by QCAA, addressing the cuts and whether there's more wiggle room than the response the Queen's administration has seemingly committed to. A report posted by QCAA says unified positions and budgetary pressures are already causing considerable stress on the staff, stress that will be further compounded and felt by the students as these larger cuts begin to take shape. QCAA argues that the need for such dramatic measures is being overstated by university administration, citing an independent report that states Queen's strong liquidity affords Queen's the financial flexibility to avoid these drastic cuts. Coalition also pointed to Queen's projected deficit as potentially disingenuous, considering Queen's recent history of overestimating budget deficits with the exception of the last year. The university's actual operating budget deficit has been lower than projected for five straight years and an average of around $44 million yearly. Bronwyn Bjorkman, Queen's Department Head of Languages, Literatures, and Cultures, said at the teach-in that while departments are tasked with making cuts, they're limited in what they can actually do. She says a lot of the immediate impact may be felt in student experience as departments grasp for options to cut spending, with the costs like guest speakers, special events, and student initiatives being the most likely cuts. Those are the kinds of requests that departments are going to have a much harder time saying yes to um, right now. So that's less exposure for Queens. It's damage to the student experience. It's a reduction in what students will experience. And it's fewer partnerships with local communities. Provost Matthew Evans sent an email to the Queens community acknowledging the attention the school's financial constraints are generating and trying to explain the situation. Evans stated that the falling revenue is a result of the provincial government's cutting of tuition in 2019 and a subsequent freeze, citing that decision as costing the university $180 million to date. A report from the province's expert panel points some blame at the Ontario government for the somewhat dire financial situation of post-secondary institutions, with the report highlighting a 10% increase in provincial funding as perhaps the most important step towards sustainability. The province pays about 57% per student what other provinces do, but say that it's up to the institutions to look for efficiencies. Despite the province's role, Queen's, who previously declined to comment on the provincial blue ribbon report, projects a larger deficit than most of its counterparts. In his letter, Evans attributes much of this to the inability to improve international enrollment and says the university continuing to rely on its reserves is an unsustainable course of action. Our operating budget has also been hit harder than many of the other universities in Ontario by falling international student enrollment, which is not recovered as quickly, Evans said in the letter. At the same time, costs have increased through inflationary pressures and other costs. The university has so far relied on our financial reserves to cover our operating deficits, but that path is not sustainable. Evans says those funds are depleting rapidly, but QCAA points towards increased income in the Pooled Investment Fund, PIF, and the Personal Endowment Fund as resources that could be used to mitigate cuts, and the reluctance to tap into these streams as evidence that the university prioritizes its investments over the quality of education and services it provides. Evans says in his letter that, Immediate pressures require us to take immediate action, looking to build long-term, fiscally sustainable future for education and research at Queen's. 
The budget and proposed cuts will be discussed on Monday, December 11th at a Faculty of Arts and Science town hall with Provost Evans. The meeting will be held at Biosciences Complex Room 1101 and virtually from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. And now back to Dinah Jansen with more in area news. Thank you, Jesse. In other regional news from Michelle Dory Forstel, local journalism initiative reporter for thekingstonist.com, the Council of the Town of Greater Napanee has voted in favor of a motion to forgive St. Mary Magdalene Anglican Church's abnormally high water bill, which occurred when a leak in an inaccessible part of the church building went undetected over the summer months. Town staff presented their request for utility bill forgiveness report to council at its meeting on Tuesday, November 28th, and asked council to give direction on any future practice of utility bill forgiveness. Council voted in favor of granting the church's request for relief with the specification that this one-time decision was not a new policy. Council voted to confirm as a general policy the past council's Resolution 91, which was that the practice of providing sewer relief for high utility bills due to leaks remain terminated, and that the only relief to be provided be through the continuation of customer-friendly payment plans. Council further decided to grant a specific exemption to this policy to the St. Mary Magdalene Church on the grounds that this exemption is in the best interest of the broader community because the applicant is a not-for-profit which provides services to the community and because the building is not occupied continuously. And further, the council authorized sewer relief adjustment in accordance with the terms of the prior sewer relief policy. Before the vote, Councillor Bill Martin expressed his opinion that Council needed to have leeway to make such decisions on a case-by-case basis, especially in the case of nonprofits such as a church. Councillor Mike Shank also said a nonprofit such as a church did good work in the community and he felt it was different from a residence or a commercial business that's open seven days a week. Clerk Jessica Walters confirmed that the motion on the table could be used in cases where relief was in the best interests of the broader community as determined by Town Council. And now back over to Jesse Bell with regional news from Keith Dempsey, local journalism initiative reporter for the Brockville Recorder and Times. Thank you, Dinah. In recent Township of Leeds and Thousand Islands news, Keith Dempsey reported that the St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church hosted a night of live music on Saturday, December 2nd in support of the Gananoque and Area Food Bank. Organizers say a number of professional musicians and singers participated, including violinist Julia McFarlane with the Kingston Symphony. Admission for this event was via donation at the door, and all proceeds went to the Gananoque and Area Food Bank. In other area news, the Gananoque Town Council announced that the Lagoon Cell No. 1 Berm Revitalization Project has been completed, and that a generous donation was made in the process. Lansdowne's Nash Excavation completed the project and donated $20,000 of in-kind services for other excavation work to the lagoon and tree removal services on the berms of cells No. 2 and 3. In further regional news, the town of Gananoque has officially invited firms and individuals to submit expressions of interest for two surplus properties located within the town for the purposes of developing affordable housing. The properties are located at 425 William Street South and 50 Birch Street. The public request reads that the minimum scope of affordability will be at 20% of the overall development and will form part of the rating criteria. The minimum affordability criteria is 80% of the alternative average market rents, as determined by the United Counties of Leeds and Grenville. The minimum expected period the units will remain affordable is 20 years, with associated covenants on title. 
According to a United Counties of Leeds and Grenville Community Housing Department staff report for the area, monthly rates for a bachelor apartment under the 2024 alternate average market rents would be around $1,057 to $1,237 for a one-bedroom, $1,446 for a two-bedroom, $1,717 for a three-bedroom, and $2,347 for four bedrooms and more. With 80% of the 2024 alternate average market rent monthly, a bachelor apartment would be roughly $846, a one-bedroom would cost $990, a two-bedroom would be $1,157, a three-bedroom $1,717, and a four-bedroom or more rental of $1,878. Recently, Gananoque Council decided to take a different path in combating a shortage of affordable housing rather than back a Habitat for Humanity proposal. On October 17th, Habitat for Humanity Thousand Islands made a proposal to Council to build five affordable freehold townhouses on the lot located in the southeast corner of William and Arthur Streets. At a November 7th Council meeting, however, a majority on Council felt that the plan did not go far enough. Habitat houses are sold to partner families at no profit and financed with affordable mortgages. The homeowner's monthly mortgage payments go into a revolving fund, which is used to build more houses. In addition to mortgage payments, each homeowner invests hundreds of hours of their own labor into building of their house and the houses of others. However, town officials, looking at the municipal land inventory for surplus lands that might be available for development, have identified two properties located on William Street, parcel of land on which Habitat wants to build, and Birch Street, both of which were previously discussed by councils as options for residential development and specifically affordable housing. With that in mind, council decided to declare the subject parcels of land surplus to the municipality's needs and to issue a call for expressions of interest for both lots to the marketplace. This will invite developers to submit proposals. Habitat for Humanity is able to submit its proposal to the town alongside other interested parties. We're offering it to the entire community, whether it be private developers, Habitat for Humanity, or the town itself, said Shelley Fournier, the town's chief administrative officer. The idea is that they can all submit proposals and council can truly identify the best use for these parcels. It was noted to council that the fair market value of the William Street lot is $300,000. Staff believe that the lot can easily accommodate 10 units or more. So, they concluded to proceed with the Habitat proposal of building only five units on this lot would not maximize the economic and social benefit for the town. The fair market value of the Birch Street lot is $50,000 to $75,000. The lot can accommodate up to 12 units. Again, from the town's perspective, building only five units on this lot would not result in the best economic and social impact for the town. And now over to Ted Evans, local journalism reporter for CJAI-FM, Amherst Island Radio, with more on Loyalist Township News. Hi, I'm Ted Evans, local journalism initiative reporter and news director at CJAI, Amherst Island Radio, 101.3 FM in Stella, Ontario. Coming up are some of the top news stories from Loyalist Township. You can hear Amherst Island Radio's news program, North Shore News, on 101.3 Amherst Island Radio or online at cjai.ca. For showtimes throughout the week, check the schedule on our website at cjai.ca. An agreement between Loyalist Township and the Odessa Lions Club to provide seasonal flower barrels in Odessa and Wilton has been formalized. The new arrangement will see the township storing, planting, placing, maintaining, and removing the barrels each season. The Lions Club will maintain ownership of the barrels and will be responsible for the cost of the soil, plants, and barrel maintenance during the off-season. 
They will also be responsible for barrel replacement if necessary. All costs to the township are included in the annual parks operating budget. Mayor Jim Hagedorn spoke on the agreement. This has been a great partnership so far, and now we've formalized it where now it can go forward. Flower barrels in Odessa and Wilton have been provided by the Lions Club and the township since 2017 on an informal basis during the spring and summer months. On average each year, there were 16 barrels in Odessa and six in Wilton. COVID restrictions impacted the levels of service, and only eight barrels were placed in Odessa during that time, with just two in Wilton. According to staff's report, service has returned to normal since the pandemic. The agreement is effective until September 30, 2028, and will be renewed automatically on an annual basis unless either party decides otherwise. For CJAI and the Local Journalism Initiative, I'm Ted Evans. Coming up next, we have another report from Ted Evans on Loyalist Township's recent approval of a new bylaw related to livestock valuers. Loyalist Township have passed a new bylaw to appoint livestock valuers in accordance with the Ontario Wildlife Damage Compensation Program and the Protection of Livestock and Poultry from Dogs Act. Both the program and the act require the council of every local municipality to appoint livestock valuers this year. As per the bylaw, the township has six appointed livestock valuers. Deputy Mayor Nathan Townend recognized the work of one of the township's valuers. I don't know if um, there were any plans to recognize him uh, at a later uh, opportunity, but uh, Adam Miller has been a livestock valuator for uh, for the township for many, 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 many years. Um, and I just wanted to recognize his contribution in that capacity and uh, and to thank him for his service. Mayor Jim Hagedorn noted the importance of the position. There are a few names on here that have been on for quite some time. We appreciate it. And to a farmer, this is actually a very important position. Um, that the township has and very useful and greatly appreciated. The six people appointed as livestock valuers for Loyalist Township are Adam Miller, Paul Chapman, Angela Kent, Joanne Damore, Brendan Lambert, and Carl Hanna. Livestock valuers are responsible for investigating predation claims and creating reports including evidence. The reports are submitted to the municipality to be passed on to the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. According to staff's report, the township decided to appoint six valuators to ensure reports are completed within the prescribed timelines. For CJAI and the Local Journalism Initiative, I'm Ted Evans. Thank you, Ted. And now over to the Local Journalism Initiative team at CJPE County FM in Picton with Prince Edward County News. Hi, I'm Craig Foster, Local Journalism Initiative reporter and news director at CJPE 99.3 County FM in beautiful Prince Edward County. Coming are some of the top stories from PEC. You can hear County FM news five days a week, six times a day on 99.3 County FM, Voice of the County, or stream us at 99.3countyfm.ca. Prince Edward County Councilors were burning the midnight oil at Tuesday night's council meeting, but they listened to the taxpayers' concerns about spending $20 million on water trunk lines for the Cork and Vine Caitlin development. There was a unanimous decision to put the brakes on for the time being and seek legal advice regarding various aspects of the project. The council chamber was packed with individuals and groups presenting deputations reminding council that there was no guarantee that spending for trunk lines now would lead to shovels in the ground. Rick Conroy, former owner and publisher of the Wellington Times, pleaded with council to put the brakes on the decision, and former Hillier councillor Ernie Maggotson made several suggestions to go forward, which council considered, but Wellington councillor Corey Engelsdorfer hit the nail on the head when he noticed no representation from the Caitlin Group was present at such an important meeting. For the Local Journalism Initiative, I'm Brenda Little. 
Coming up, we have another local journalism initiative report from CJPEFM on discussions related to transportation in Prince Edward County. Prince Edward County is planning to start from scratch when it comes to solving a difficult and growing public transportation problem. Just this week, County Council opted to discontinue subsidizing a U-Ride program that had mixed results at best. This on the heels of a weekend that saw County OPP lay seven impaired driving charges in a three-day span. Local taxi availability has been cannibalized by a corporate contract with a mushroom plant that takes one of the cab companies out of the equation completely. And cab fares have also skyrocketed. A 35-kilometer cab ride from Belleville to Picton now costs the same as a 450-kilometer flight from Toronto to Ottawa. This in a place that's built its economy on alcohol-based tourism. The county is planning what it's calling a community transportation strategy refresh in 2024 using a specialized consultant funded through the Provincial Community Transportation Grant Program. This strategy refresh will look at the ecosystem of transportation options, including taxis and other modes to make recommendations for the future of transit and community transportation in the county. It says the focus will be largely on transit, but other modes will be included in the analysis. County officials say the latest strategy was developed pre-pandemic and before the growth impacted in Wellington was being contemplated. So they say this is the time to look at community needs now and in the future to make sure the system will meet needs and be sustainable. There was also work to be done currently on the transportation master plan for Picton specifically. The focus of this is about moving people and goods within Picton and includes multiple modes of transportation. The strategy work would be funded through the Community Transportation Grant, which is part of the PE Transit Services section of the 2024 operating budget, set to be deliberated next week. For the Local Journalism Initiative, I'm Craig Foster. Thanks so much to the CJPE-FM team, and now over to Jesse with the CFRC Environment Canada Weather Report. Thank you, Dinah. This is Jesse Bell with the Environment Canada Weather Report for the Kingston region. Thursday, December 7th marked the warmest day of the week thus far, with temperatures around 2 degrees Celsius. Infrequent periods of snow throughout the day, but nothing that will last very long. Moving into the evening, temperatures will drop to a degree below zero, but things will warm back up again the following day. Friday, December 8th, we will see temperatures reaching a high of 4 degrees Celsius with a 30% chance of precipitation. That 4 degree weather mark will maintain overnight, as things will actually get warmer heading into the weekend. We will see a trend of warmer and wetter weather as Saturday, December 9th, will hit an unseasonably high point of 7 degrees Celsius with a 40% chance of showers. Sunday, December 10th, temperatures will drop back down to around 3 degrees and we will see an increased risk for precipitation, right around 60% chance of rain showers or flurries. Moving out of the weekend, things will start to get cold again. Monday, December 11th, we'll see temperatures just above freezing. And Tuesday, December 12th, we'll have a high of 2 degrees Celsius with a mix of sun and cloud. This concludes your Environment Canada weather report. Stay safe, stay warm, and stay tuned to the corridor for more news that you can use. And now over to Mia Lettinen and Katrina Johnson with this week's event and concert listings. And now it's time for the CFRC Community Concert and Events Calendar. Have an event you'd like to be covered on our website and news programming? Contact us via cfrc.ca today. On December 7th is a healthy food box pickup. Get a fresh food box that contains all the fresh produce and key ingredients to prepare a quick, easy, and healthy recipe, which makes approximately four to six servings. Note, registration will only display one week in advance to the session date. Register for fresh food box at queensu.ca, located at Queens Health and Wellness Services in Mitchell Hall from 1 to 4 p.m. 
On December 8th is the Far From Home New to Canada Therapy Group. This group is for international students who are struggling with the difficult transition from a different country, culture, and traditions to Canada. They may be missing home and the support of family and friends and are finding it difficult to find community and a sense of belonging in Queens. In addition to overwhelm and loneliness, they also feel the extra pressure of having to succeed due to cultural and or family dynamics. Register at queensu.ca, located at the Student Health and Wellness Centre in Mitchell Hall from 1.30 to 3.00 p.m. On December 9th, get ready to experience the world-class drag entertainer Tainomi Banks, who is known for her full production performances that exude a powerful yet playful energy on stage. She's achieved many firsts in her career, including being the first drag entertainer to perform in Toronto's Dundas Square during the World Pride 2014, and the first to work with Hudson's Bay Company during Pride 2018. This event will be located at the Kingston Grand Theatre from 7.30 to 10.30 p.m. On December 10th is a solidarity swim. Are you a trans, non-binary, genderqueer, genderfluid, or any other non-cisgender person who wants a safer space to swim and also meet other students and a wider trans community members? Join us for solidarity swims at the ARC pool. You can even bring a cisgender friend or loved one. This event will be from 2.30 to 4 p.m. Register at queensu.ca. On December 12th, take your shot at $60,000 in funding. The Center for Entrepreneurship, Innovation, and Social Impact presents Upstart Venture Challenge, a pitch competition designed to accelerate success and give alumni and students the opportunity to deliver creative business plans to a panel of experienced judges. Event attendees, including potential angel investors, will also be given a chance to take an advanced look at up-and-coming Queen's entrepreneurial ventures. Register for this event at queensu.ca to join us online for an evening of exciting pitches as the top of eight teams battle it out in the virtual arena. This event will be virtually from 5 to 8 p.m. This was Kat bringing you the CFRC Community Concert and Events Calendar for December 6th through to December 12th. I hope you all have a lovely week. Thank you for tuning into The Corridor here on CFRC 101.9 FM and podcasting on Spotify and Apple Music through the support of the Local Journalism Initiative and the Community Radio Fund of Canada. We'll see you next time.